music sounds a little quiet today. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Ready to pump it up to 11 today. Come on, we're doing it all the way. We had the State of the Union, Rick. I uh, have to confess... I think you should probably make the same confession. We are going on no sleep. <laughs> it's about right. It's, it feels like an election night or the day after day after an election. Uh, but uh, but it was a, it was an interesting one. I mean, I I got to tell you, I was skeptical about whether people would care about the State of the Union just because Trump makes so much news kind of every day of the week. There wasn't that much buildup around this, but it ended up being kind of a big deal. Okay, so uh, full disclosure, I was in the chamber. I've been doing this. I don't know for how many State of the Union addresses. I think. It's double digits because I was sure. in there. I was in the chamber for for Bush. I was in the chamber for I think a couple of Obamas at least. I think yeah. maybe most of them. Sure. Um, and um, I was in there, of course, for the address to the joint session last year. And now for the first official State of the Union, I have to say, Rick, and I, I am not being overly dramatic here. I promise. I have never seen anything like it inside the chamber, and this is something that was not captured on the television cameras. I went back and looked at how it was portrayed um, on on television. And as you know, the way this works is is there is there is the cameras are all pulled inside, so all the networks are drawing from the same group of cameras. In this case, they were being run by CNN, and they did it the way State of the Union addresses are always done. You have a tight shot of the president. When somebody reacts in a, in a dramatic way, a big applause or standing up, you do a tight shot of somebody uh, reacting. You don't get a lot of the wide shots. But that moment that we all know so well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Speak, all that stuff, you know, welcome the President of the United States. The President comes out and begins his walk down the middle aisle, and there are Republicans lining both sides of the aisle because the Republicans all wanted to get that shot shaking hands with the President. But... The entire Democratic side of the aisle, with very few exceptions, was silent Mm -hmm. as the President of the United States was announced and as he walked in. So full disclosure, I was at a bar. Uh, working, yes. by the way, but I was at a bar. Rick was um, drinking, and, and I, I wasn't able. Are you to, working? I'm sorry. Was drinking uh, water, but it was, uh, uh, and I think some of that was visible to a television audience. But I, I think it's a great metaphor for our divided times that these two sides. I think this comes through, and we'll play some clips uh, in, in the course of the show. But it, I think Republicans got exactly the president that they always thought they would get, and were happy to applaud that president. And Democrats were equally happy to sit on their hands. But this is different because we always see the one side gets up the other side doesn't and they get you know we always see that game but this was extraordinary because even during moments where it was the obvious applause for both sides the appeals to bipartisanship that we can work together and accomplish anything even during those moments and of course the walking down sure um Democrats sat there. Pelosi would look around, look to her right, look to her left, look behind her to see who in her caucus was standing or not. Joe Manchin was frequently the only Democrat in the entire... Uh, right. Uh, there were a couple a couple Republicans sat on the Democratic side just to have a little bit of Plants, fun. Plants, like, yeah, on the other side. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. um, it was like an act... It, it was like the equivalent of Joe Wilson's You Lie at the joint speech that Obama gave on health care. It, they didn't do anything disrespectful and like They didn't that. yell at him. Yeah, yeah. They didn't but jump this out of was a like form that. of protest. Wow. This was an intentional form. Of course, they, many of the women wore black, all of that. But this, 
this silence was loud. Well, it I was think loud in the chamber, and I don't think it was fully captured. And, on the and that's it's a it's intriguing point, and I think it speaks to the fact that so many people in that crowd among the Democrats uh, view him as an illegitimate president, uh, view him as someone that debases the office. Many of those to the Republic, threat to the Republic. Many of them have voted for impeachment. Many of the others are thinking about impeachment if Democrats retake control of Congress. So that's the atmospherics. And they so didn't much boycott of that. the speech. There was talk. I mean, there, well, there, there were some there, boycotts. There, there were yeah. a dozen were or so didn't show up. But but I mean. By and large, they were all there. They felt they had to be there, but they were not going to applaud them. Well, and there was a bunch that brought Dreamers as guests, and there was one Republican congressman that said, I want to see those guys arrested. I want the Capitol Police to arrest people that show up if they don't have yeah, that didn't a happen. citizenship. Although, it didn't happen. Although, but- although I heard you had a little, uh, well, we won't talk about what happened at the bar. <laughs> I that, had that my was- papers. I had my, I got, I yeah. Um, but, but you know what happened after the speech? What happened after the speech? Well, the, the president walked down to, again, go out that center aisle and this is the classic thing we've seen him in a thousand states. You know, everybody waits. Yeah. The pre- everybody tries to get one last goodbye, shake hand with the president, tell him something. As soon as that speech ended, the Democratic side of the aisle, to a person, charged to the exits. I can tell you, you you can't really again, you can't see this because they weren't really shooting it this way. But as the president. Even before he got to the aisle to walk up, the Democratic side of that chamber was empty except for people waiting to get through the the, the, the bottlenecking to get out the door. I was wondering why I couldn't get an Uber on Capitol Hill after the speech. I guess the, 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 the they the left before the, the president got to the aisle. Well, that is also extraordinary. It doesn't usually work that way. Usually there's a lot of lingering and celebrating the, 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 the moment of the office. But you know what else happened? There was a speech. Well, I, I, we'll get to the speech, but I want to I want to start after the speech. Oh, that's yeah. That's the way we do that's these right. things Linear. around here. Um, so uh, the president was walking out, and this the cameras caught perfectly, and those of us up in the galleries had no idea what was, was happening until we saw it on TV later. But nevertheless, the president was asked about the FBI memo, dude. <laughs> He's like, doing like a little, a little press avail there on the floor of the house. <laughs> remind us what the FBI, remind me what, 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 so, what this question was about. Sure. So Congressman Devin Nunes is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. His staff has prepared a memo uh, that they say details some uh, possible or alleged abuses uh, by the FBI in the course of its investigations over the last couple of years, specifically relating to the FISA process. We don't know a lot of the details because it's actually a classified memo, but the very preparation of this memo created a trending hashtag, released the memo, and a fight between President Trump and his own Department of Justice about whether it should be released. What did Sean Hannity say about the memo again? I think he said it was a big deal. I think he said it was going to be a very big deal. He said it what he said it make Watergate look like you're stealing a Snickers bar. So we are anticipating this memo. In in, in the meantime, the House Intelligence Committee has voted to, uh, voted to release that memo. But the what? But the administration has five days to block the release because it is a classified document until it's until it's released. Right. And the Justice Department is adamantly against the release of it. The FBI. But but. The president was asked about it by by a Republican member of Congress as he was walking out the chamber. I think we I think we have the we call it a hot mic moment. Let's take a listen. Let's release the memo. Oh, yeah. oh, don't worry, hundred <laughs> percent. 
hundred percent, hundred percent, and he hundred percent is weird. Yeah, isn't it? and hundred percent stepping on his news cycle too. Uh, but that's the atmospherics of this. You had this moment in time where the president is out there and this this rousing call to unity and and flag waving and bipartisanship that seemed not to fit at all with how he's acted as president over the last year. Uh, and it's in the midst of another insane news cycle dominated by the Russia investigation and the, the news around uh, around Mueller and his probe. And, and now we're waiting to see something else that undermines the credibility of the, of the FBI and the president's own Justice Department. Would you believe that the FBI, even after the president said 100 percent and had a big chuckle on all this, would you believe that the Federal Bureau of Investigation put out a statement today I would about believe the memo? That. I would believe that because we live in weird times. Do you want me to read this Go statement? Go for it, John. Keep in mind that the FBI is part of the Justice it Department, is. which is part of the reports executive branch. The, the and you know who's in up. charge of the executive branch, right? Yep, I do. Okay. Quote, the FBI was provided a limited opportunity to review this memo the day before the committee voted to release it. As expressed during our initial review, we have grave concerns about material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact the memo's accuracy. So... The Federal Bureau of Investigation, hours after the president said 100%, yes, you kidding me? We're going to release this thing? says that they have grave concerns about this memo being released. Wow. And it, that, it's, a, it's an amazing moment. And again, it gets to the external factors surrounding all of this. You had a president for a night who was doing the very presidential kind of normal thing that presidents do and basking in the moment and, and issuing those those calls to work together and to bring up American society together. And yet you have these other extraordinary extracurriculars that continue to pop. But American carnage from the inaugural turned into the American moments. Let's revisit just a little bit of the speech. And this this was what we call the, what, what, this is like the nut graph, the money line. Here, let's take a listen. This, in fact, is our new American moment. There has never been a better time to start living the American dream. So to every citizen watching at home tonight, no matter where you've been or where you've come from, this is your time. If you work hard, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in America, then you can dream anything. You can be anything. And together, we can achieve absolutely anything. Now, John, that that's paragraph, a rousing paragraph. I think it did get bipartisan applause. Uh, that could have been eh, that could have been airdropped into uh, or out of the speech by any president in, in recent American history. Uh, you could have put those words behind Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan or Barack Obama. And I think if you had asked a it bunch might have been of, hard for George Bush in 2006 or 2008. It's not it's not it's not. Typical or, or 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 Nixon during the throws of Watergate. No, it, or, it, hard, it, it yeah. you know and, and that wasn't the tone of a lot of Carter addresses. But Jimmy presidents Carter, generally they, they yeah. like to talk about these in these in these bold, optimistic ways. And of course, that's the quote uh, that 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 spawned a million headlines. And that's the that's the thing that people focus on. Uh, uh, did Steve Stephen Miller write that? that? That's what I want to know. Where did that come from? Who who put that into the president's speech? It's on speech? virtually every front page. If you look yeah. at the headlines of every major newspaper in this country, it's some even the even the headlines that attack the president use that yeah use and, that line and and words like together i mean these are not things that typically uh get quoted from trumpian speeches there weren't it? a lot of eyes or no. me's no no it wasn't it, uh, this is the there's no I alone, I alone i alone can fix it Th- this was this was a nice nice sounding pat nice. uh call for america to to get along together 
He also uh, went on at some length about immigration. As you, know. oh, by the way, we should tell every, uh, our podcast listeners we're yeah. going to be talking in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I, I think we'll have him. Uh, I think we're going to have him momentarily. Frank Luntz is going to join us, which is a big deal. Brand new ABC News consultant, a message maven, uh, the 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 czar of town hall forums, and, yes. uh, focus groups, and the like. Uh, Prominent he, he, Trump critic, by yeah, the way. Yeah, had who, one of the who, earliest by the way, reported had clashes with Trump, but yeah. really nice things to say about Trump. Uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's after the speech. He, I was shocked. He, he's among the converted, or at least for the moment. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, well, we'll see how long that lasts. But but before we get to Frank. The immigration thing was a big deal, obviously. Um, he laid out his plan for immigration. I think the White House, well, the White House portrayed this as a reaching out to Democrats, said, it, said something he said to us, uh, the White House in that closed session last week, you know, uh, you know on the record, but, but, right. but off camera, impromptu session, that he's open to citizenship for the Dreamers after 10 to 12 years. Uh, which is a big concession that's got Breitbart calling him Amnesty Don. You know, we, we, we've talked about that. So they thought this was kind of a, a speech that was going to basically be, at least when it came to immigration, reaching out to Democrats. It didn't, it didn't quite work that way. Uh, so let's just listen to, to a section of what he said about immigration. My duty and the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream. Because Americans are dreamers, too. I got to tell you, John, that sentence really stopped me in my reading tracks. As I'm reading ahead and then to hear how he's delivered, it's easy to, to gloss over a sentence like that. Americans are dreamers. Yeah, of course they are. But Americans are dreamers, too. Yes, what? If you capitalize the word dreamer, it makes a lot more sense because there is a raging debate right now about what to do about Which he was talking about in this. That's section. right. In the context of this moment, he's talking about the dreamers. These are people who, uh, who were brought here as children and they know no other country other than the United States as their home. 800,000 or so of them. Uh, right now, there's a ticking time clock on them. And that expires the first week of March under the president's own order. And they are used that they're part of a bargaining negotiation right now over a vast array of immigration issues including the wall. That message, Americans are dreamers too, says, guess what to those dreamers? You, you're not Americans. You're not Americans. I mean, and, Americans are dreamers, and then dreamers are dreamers. Right. But, and, but, but Americans. That's right. And, and when he's talking about the compassion, the heart that he's going to bring to the dreamers, he's also bringing to that the compassion for Americans who are not so-called capital D dreamers, but to have their own views and their own vision. And a lot of the people in that chamber who don't want to see the dreamers legalized, including and many that just want to make sure that they don't get citizenship or view that as a lower priority than building the wall, for instance. Oh, by the way, one thing I noticed on the wall. Did you notice this? Because he did mention the wall. Yes, I did. It wasn't a major thing. I did. There was something missing. Wasn't yeah, it? you remember that? Do you remember during the campaign when he talked about who was going to pay for Vaguely. the wall? Vaguely, it was a, it was some country, foreign country. Yeah, there was. Know, he yeah, didn't, he didn't yeah. get into that. So we'll, we'll we'll get back to. Hey, why don't we take a quick break? Very quick break, and come back with Frank Lontz, who I see is already on the line. Hey, it's Rebecca Jarvis, and I wanted to tell you about my podcast, No Limits. We bring you a new guest with a new story every Tuesday. We're talking to trailblazing women across a variety of industries to hear about how they've built success and carved a unique path. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Just search No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis and subscribe today. 
Hey, this is Dan Harris, and uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. And you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. All right, joining us now, the great Frank Luntz, uh, the premier... Uh, I mean, how many things can we say about Frank? We can Obviously, say a lot. We, 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 know him as, we know him as the focus group guy, but one of the most... I think honest uh, analysts of American politics, uh, Frank really does say it like it is. And Frank, uh, you created quite a Twitter sensation uh, following and even during the president's State of the Union speech uh, by, well, tell us what you tweeted. Well, first, you need to know the setting for this. I was invited to come watch the speech from the gallery. Several members of Congress offered me tickets, and I turned them down because I frankly did not have particularly high expectations. I thought it was going to be a traditional partisan speech, and I've had enough of that. So to my surprise, maybe not in the first couple minutes, but throughout the speech, I saw someone who was providing facts, uh, indicating a direction that he wanted to go in, inviting the Democrats to join him, and even making concessions on immigration, which is the, the hottest partisan issue right now in Washington. And my conclusion was that this was not a good speech. It was an excellent speech. And that if you could set aside those who love Trump for everything he says and set aside those who hate Trump for everything he says, that actually he performed very well. From a communication standpoint, he, he did it the way he should have done it. You've got half fact-based, half uh, humanity in the people that he pointed to uh, up in the uh, up in the balcony, and I just thought he did really well. And I know that there are a lot of people who disagree. You two may be uh, among them, but I thought that his performance so exceeded my expectations that I, quite frankly, apologized for some of the negative comments I've made. I thought that he was presidential and effective last night. Okay, so uh, before we get to um, kind of our take on, on the speech, which is less important, frankly. We want, we want to hear what you have to say. I, I want to I give a, a little bit of context here uh, for... Uh, I know you're a friend of the podcast, but this is your debut on our podcast. Uh, Frank, you are somebody who has been extremely critical of this president. Um, you are uh, a, a lifelong Republican, except for that time when but, you worked, uh, worked for Ross Perot, but, but, but you, but but you that, are... But, but. But yes. John, but but let's be let's be candid. I've been critical of the language mm -hmm. because I don't believe that we need to beat up on senators and congressmen. I don't believe that we need to attack people who disagree with us. I think that a healthy political debate is appropriate, insults or not. And so my criticism of this White House has been its tone, not necessarily its policies. And I think that, for example, uh, from its uh, judicial nominations to its tax legislation, I am very positive towards them. The tone has been much too dark, much too negative, much too divisive, 
But that's not what I heard yesterday, and that's why I wrote the tweets that I did. I thought it, I thought it really did cut across the aisle, and I was very frustrated with Democrats who sat on their hands when they were talking about the gains in employment, the gains in, in paychecks, that some of these changes are significant. Barack Obama deserves some credit for it, as does Donald Trump. But the Democrats sat on their hands, and I thought that that wasn't helpful either. Well, because I, I was in the chamber, and you got a sense that you couldn't, frankly, get on television, although some of it came across on, on television. We were talking earlier um, about I, – I've been in there for now State of the Union addresses by three different presidents, Bush, Obama, and Trump. And you always see the left side, right side, you know, uh, the, the kind of partisan applause. But I – I have never seen one that so thoroughly did not reach out in terms of the effect and how it was received, not necessarily the words that were said, but Democrats were not touched by that speech in the least, at least in that chamber. Uh, Democrats in that chamber, um, you know, uh, barely applauded when when, when he was, uh, I mean, they, they did eventually, uh, as he was pointing to the to the heroes in the, in the First Lady's box, but... Um, his discussion on on immigration, uh, I, I understand he put out the uh, the citizenship, which which what hasn't put out before after ten or twelve years, but you know when he said something like uh, Americans are dreamers too, after giving a litany of the way Americans have been victimized in one way or another, he was saying, Frank, Americans are dreamers too. In other words, dreamers are not Americans. Now I know as a technical sense they're not American citizens, but this is about providing them citizens citizenship. But he was making it clear and stark that he does not view dreamers as true Americans. And he knew what he's doing with that line. I think that's I think that we can agree on that, Frank. I'm not no, I'm not so sure about that. I think that he meant it, and this is how I took it, so maybe I'm wrong here. But I took it as Americans see the same hope and same inspiration uh, and same focus on the future that dreamers do. I thought that that was a unifying line. You guys heard it as a divisive line. You thought it was Maybe. a benign Berliner, but that was not what he was saying because he, was, he, he built up to that line by talking about how his primary duty as President of the United States is to look after Americans first, not after immigrants, not after you know, uh, you know, our poor, our American. It was it, 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 the, the whole line, the whole build up to that was I am the American president. I look after American interests first. It I'm wasn't. Sorry, it guys, wasn't. But I, you know. I don't agree. I, he was I, I, I think you need to go back and I mean and, and maybe. No, no. no for, I mean, you can have a different take. I mean, that's that's. I've read the text. He's allowed. He's allowed he was, Just he was yes. communicating about a sense of security. John, you're hearing it from the Democratic perspective. Maybe I'm hearing it from the Republican perspective. I mean, but but it's a sense of security that he was speaking about, and most importantly. For all of us on this call, the president is giving a position that was different from what he said on the campaign trail. The idea of earning citizenship, not just legal status or even permanent legal status, but citizenship. He's come a long way from what he said about immigration, and he deserves credit for that. Are the Democrats going to meet him halfway? That's the question that we need to be asking today. And I acknowledge that I'm defending him. And I've not defended him in, in recent times. That's how impactful this speech was to me. 
So let me take a step back from that, Frank, and I'll concede your point that that this was a an, an attempt at unity and a different tone from Trump, because I think we, we can agree or disagree on this line. I, I read it the way John did. You read it a different way. It, it, he was trying to, to paint a portrait of a more compassionate president, uh, a, a united country. I was struck that this was an aspirational speech by the president. He was aspiring to become the president that he was describing because it fit with almost nothing, frankly, of the of the actions that we've seen from the president of the last year. And my th- my sense was that Democrats are sitting on their hands because they realize that these are just words. And we've seen the president say lots of words, but it didn't fit in at all with the actions that we've seen. So my my question to you, Frank, is, and you're you're a language guy, and and I. I that, that's what you do. But how do you square that with the way the president has actually governed? Or do you view this as him actually turning a new leaf? Did he finally pivot? We don't know. And this is, this is the hope and the fear. What will he tweet today and tomorrow? We honestly do not know the answer to that question. We have assumptions. And on this, I'm probably agreeing with you more than disagreeing, that I'm waiting to see what happens. But on the text in its delivery, what he said and what he indicated, it was a different message than what he'd been communicating up to now. And on immigration in particular, since that's the number one issue in Washington, and it will be for the next five weeks, this president has taken a different approach. And I think we need to take him at his word until he proves us differently. Fair point. I want to just ask you from the political perspective. And by the way, Rick, your point is fair, too, too, that we've seen a president who has said one thing one night and then goes against it the next day. And that's, I mean, people that have been burned on both sides of Trump, whether you're your friend or foe of Donald Trump, you've seen that before. We have seen this movie before. We saw him a year ago say it was the time to end petty divisions, and five days later he was tweeting that Barack Obama... Uh, tap my phones, which of course is not exactly. true. So that we've seen that before, but but even let's say let's again take him at his word. Take him at his word. Let's talk to the, about the politics of this last night because one reason that I viewed that the Republicans are jumping out of their chairs to applaud and Democrats are sitting on their hands is that President Trump was exactly the the president last night uh, at the State of the Union that Republicans wanted them to be. But actually, Democrats heard it in a totally different way because they've seen it before. And they feel like it is he was exactly the president they always expected him to be anyway, because this is what he does. He says one thing and does something else. But what? how does this change a landscape for a Republican Party? Was there a portrait painted last night that Republicans can say, you know what? I may have my problems with Trump. I may have problems with Trump in my district. But now I've got something to rally behind. And there is a unified Republican message going into the midterms. Well, first off, the GOP is in, is in significant trouble. And if the election were held today, I do believe if it were held today, I believe they would lose the House and probably the Senate. So that's the environment that they find themselves in. Second problem is that there are Trump voters who will not vote for Republicans for Congress because Donald Trump for months told his own base that it was Congress who was holding up his agenda. And he did not distinguish between Republicans and Democrats. Then he went after Senators Corker and Flake, went after Senator McConnell. And that communicated to his own voters that it was okay if they didn't toe the partisan line. What he, I think, has now realized is that if that is the, uh, if that's the outcome, then they will, in fact, elect a Democratic House and Senate, and then he better change his tone. 
What I heard last night was the focus on solutions, not necessarily bipartisanship. He made he made a plea for it, but it could have been better. But he's focused on the impact of the tax bill. He's focused on what's happening in the economy. And quite frankly, if the economy is as strong 10 months from now as it is today, it will make it much more difficult for the Democrats to win the seats that they need to take control of the House. That is the one Trump card the president has. And I, and I don't mean to be uh, ironic there. And that is that even if people don't like him, they tend not to vote the party out of power if the economy is as strong as it appears it will be. Well, you know, a couple of things that he he did say uh, that that uh, Paul Ryan didn't seem to be quite as excited about, uh, you know, coming out for paid family leave. I haven't seen that on the Republican uh, agenda for for 2018. Um, his uh, his riff on drug controlling drug prices as as his one of his top priorities for the year that sounded a lot like uh what as a matter of fact that actually got nancy pelosi out of her seat and <laughs> and and applauding um and i just wonder frank as a as a conservative and i believe you are um were you at all concerned to see a president speak for an hour and 20 minutes uh outlining his uh you know his state of the union address and not once talk about the need to control government spending, not once make any reference to the fact that we're staring down now trillion-dollar deficits, um, nothing of those issues which have been so important and so central uh, to Republican, to conservative orthodoxy uh, since, since Reagan. But that's the whole point, and I do not... Uh, appearing on this podcast, I do not take an ideological tone in analyzing. Those are two specific issues that are higher priorities among Democrats. And the fact that he did not raise the highest priority among Republicans, which is the debt, that tells you that there was a, a deliberate attempt to blur the Republican Democratic line. He may no longer have the credibility to do it because of what's happened in the past year. But that was clearly the effort. And this was not a speech that the average Republican would have given. So that's okay with know. you. If, 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 and, if, if President or, or, Trump is not or, the average. Or, or forget you, Frank, because I take your point. You, you, you are, and I, I've known you for years. Uh, I consider you, consider you a very good friend. You know this stuff better than anybody, and you, and you have integrity in what you say. And, 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 and you, do, you do call it like you see it, regardless of, of your own view. So don't, don't answer in your view, but in the view of... Uh, of a Reaganite conservative looking at looking at that guy giving that speech, making those points and not making not, not talking at all about the Leviathan about the, about the growth of government and and not making that in a priority in an hour and twenty minutes couldn't even do a throwaway line. Um, and, th- 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 does that make traditional conservatives? And I don't mean the bright parts of the world, but does it make traditional? Uh, conservatives uh, uh, uneasy? It will make some conservatives uneasy because they don't feel that he is in the camp of eventually balancing the budget and eventually eating away at the debt. So, yes, for about 20% of the Republican Party, they would have been disappointed. For about 20% of the Democratic Party, they would have been, uh, their mood would have been brightened, both by 
his immigration stand and his prescription drug stand. The opioid thing does really does cut across partisan lines. So there's something there to make people happy. There's something there to make people disappointed. My point in all of this is that he will get no credit from those that don't like him because they've already decided what they think and nothing that he says will change them. He will get no blame from those who love him because they simply fawn at every word. And even if he changes his position, they'll change with him. And the tragedy of all of this is that there are so few people in the middle who can credit him where he succeeds, who can hold him accountable where he fails and judge him based on what he does. But my final it, point to you guys. Well, I mean, if I can say, I, I, I think you're exactly right on the on, on, on the fact of the people who, no matter what he says, are never going are, are yeah. to support him. I mean, I've never seen a State of the Union where the president is announced by the sergeant in arms. He comes in, and one side of the chamber does not clap. Hmm. I mean, there were a few that wouldn't do it when you know Obama came in or when Bush came in. There were certainly partisans who just hated the president no matter what. But this was the entire you know, Democratic side of the chamber, with very few exceptions, simply not applauding the President of the United States. And that is a tragedy. As an institution, as a, what he represents. I mean, you know. But, that's it. But, but that is the problem with the body politic. That is the problem with the poison. And he bears some responsibility for some it. Some responsibility or a lot of responsibility for that, Frank? Look at the past a lot of res- He bears a lot of responsibility for it because of the... Of, how personal and how negative the tweets. And that's why I understand, I I get it for those who see the speech in a negative light because they're not willing to hear the things that he's willing to do and and the, the outreach that he's prepared to make. And in the end, it will be proof. We need to see what he does today. He's going to the Republican retreat, I believe, tomorrow. Let's see what he does. So you've but, you've 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 obviously you've clashed with him over over the last couple of years, very famously early in the campaign after the the forum where Senator McCain's name came up, and we know where where that ended. You're in a room with him today, Frank, and, and he says, you know, Frank, I've always respected you, like you a lot. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Is it is it cutting deals? Is it is it working bipartisan, or is it just cutting out the tweets? He would not be in a room with me, so that's a hypothetical. Yeah, we like hypotheticals. You never know, man. You never know. (laughs) Don't get scout, yeah. Uh, Well, here's what's strange. Would you be in a room with him, I guess? (laughs) He would not be in a room with me, and yet the White House sent out my tweets a few minutes ago. There you go. He will not talk to me, and I've not talked to him since April of 2016. It's been that long, and yet he promotes what I said about him. Uh, Rick and John, we've lost the ability to analyze things objectively, and we've lost the Not ability here to on powerhouse politics, Frank. Not here <laughs> on powerhouse politics. Well, I appreciate that. We have not and, lost that and, ability here. That's what we do. And, gentlemen, I must take my leave. I look forward to doing this with you frequently in the future. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I changed my home and, and what I enjoy doing. Because you All right, guys, Dr. Frank Luntz, like thank you for joining us in Powerhouse Politics. You are now officially christened a friend of the podcast. We'll talk <laughs> to you again soon. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, I, I you know, I, I hesitate to disagree with Frank. He's a very shrewd uh, analyst of all things uh, about the American electorate, American politics. But um, before we say goodbye for this podcast, why don't we play the full context of that Americans are Dreamers 2 bite? And just see what our listeners think. And by the way, listen to this. Tweet at us what, 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 whether you kind of think Frank's interpretation is correct or 
whether uh, the interpretation that, that we had uh, is, is correct. Anyway, this is the full context for that soundbite. The United States is a compassionate nation. We are proud that we do more than any other country anywhere in the world to help the needy, the struggling, and the underprivileged all over the world. But as President of the United States, my highest loyalty, my greatest compassion, my constant concern is for America's children, America's struggling workers, and America's forgotten communities. I want our youth to grow up, to achieve great things. I want our poor to have their chance to rise. So tonight, I am extending an open hand to work with members of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, to protect our citizens of every background, color, religion, and creed. My duty and the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans, to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream. Because Americans are dreamers, too. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, as you said to Frank, is it if Ben I'm Berliner? Is it we are all Berliners? Or, we are all dreamers? We are all dreamers? Is or is it Black Lives Matter? No, all lives matter. All yeah. lives matter. I think this was a very carefully crafted uh, piece of language that almost certainly was inserted by Stephen Miller, whose views on this are very well known and very controversial. This smacks of that exactly. And in a speech that included a bunch of rousing calls to bipartisanship, including, as you say, extending citizenship to the so-called dreamers, this line, I think, carried huge import for a big segment of Trump's base. And he knew exactly what he was doing here. So uh, it was not exactly a moment of great bipartisanship and olive branch extending to the Democrats. That's it? What Frank, what Frank points out is right. He's going to be judged on actions. He's, he, what happens yes. next? Do they get a deal this? done? Does it right. happen? Right. Unfortunately, we'll be back next week with another podcast, and we'll be able to figure this all out. But in the meantime, I want to thank our team. We have, who, who, think about some of the people working this. Dave Ryan? Dave Ryan. Avery Miller. Avery Andy Miller. Ann. Trevor Hastings. The whole group of, of tremendous producers bringing this all together. And it's great having Frank aboard. We'll, yes. we'll have it back. Yes. And, uh, and we will see you next week, unless we're back earlier with an emergency podcast. Thank you for listening.